0: On. So glad that you're here. If I haven't met you, my name's Taylor. I'm the lead pastor here. and so grateful that you decided to show up this morning. We're in a series right now, guys, that we're calling Gospel, How Jesus Beats Death, Forgives Sin, and Renews All Things. And today we're sticking right along the theme of uh, Jesus's death. Actually, we've got Good Friday coming up, Easter Sunday. I want to encourage you to bring all of your friends. It's going to be a great big party, and we're really looking forward to it. But today, we are focusing on the death of Jesus, everybody's favorite thing to talk about, but the the reality is, is Jesus' death reframes your experience with death and with life. In, in, in all of our individual experiences in this room, we all have two things in common, believe it or not, we really do. Everybody here has the date you were born, and we all have a day that we are going to die. And that is the reality of life, that it has brevity, that it has uncertainty. You were born and you will die. And in fact, there's this fascinating sort of emerging movement that's happening in the Western world. Biohacking. Have you guys heard of this before? I've been thinking about this lately. Anybody heard of this? Okay, two people. All right. Well let me Welcome out from under the rock you've been living under. So anyways, the idea here is with biohacking, it's about human enhancement, human augmentation. Uh, we're trying to actually reverse aging and ultimately do away with death. I kid you not. I was watching this YouTube video with this guy who was being inter- interviewed. And he's a big biohacker guy. And uh, he was being interviewed and this person was like, okay, but you don't actually believe that you're not really gonna die, do you? And he was like, actually... I don't think I'm going to die. And it's like, she was, she was like are, you, are you joking me? Like, are you serious right now? He's like, no, I think I'm going to keep riding the wave of modern technological and medical advancement. And I really don't think I'm actually going to die. And so, you know, some people actually are thinking this way because here's the reality, guys. We don't know what to do with death, right? We just don't know how to handle it. And so the question is, how are you going to handle this reality that your life has a date when it's going to end, right? And the reality of the death of Jesus is it reframes your view on death, but ultimately on the life that you live right now. And so that's what we're gonna talk about. How do you handle the rea- this reality in your life? Are we gonna pretend like it's not really there, that it doesn't really exist? Uh, and, and that's a great way to live, by the way, until death comes knocking on your door, you bury somebody that you love, a spouse or God forbid, a child, right? It's great to live that way until this reality hits you like a freight train. We can pretend, uh, we can accept it, and then just sort of uh, live in fear of it and void it at all costs and live in the state of fear. And the question is is there another option, right? To which Christianity is going to say yes, there is absolutely another option. It's the best option in the marketplace of ideas. The center of the Christian faith is the crucifixion of Jesus, right? God dies. I mean, this is a it's a, it's a, it's a scandalous it's a crazy image, the image of the cross. This is a central moment of human history. So the first question that we're going to navigate into today is what were actually the means of of Jesus's death, really simple three point outline. Question number one is how did Jesus die? Now before you go to sleep on me, here's why I wanna talk about this today. Because so often within Christianity, within church world, we get too familiar with things that we uh, should have a heart full of fire and passion for. For example, we often will say things like, you know, hey, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, you know, and it's just like this nice little statement that we put up on our bulletin, you know, in our house somewhere, or put up on an Instagram or whatever, where there's no heart attached to it, there's no conviction behind it, we just get used to it, and that. Is- is a massive problem. Because here's the thing, if we don't fully understand the depth of Jesus' suffering on your behalf, we won't have a full appreciation of what Jesus actually did. And so this is what I wanna talk about. How did Jesus actually die? Uh, this this idea of crucifixion, this method of uh, torture and death was actually invented 6th century BC. Some will credit it to as far back as 9th century BC. But in 6th century BC, this is when we begin to see the cross as the form of uh, Uh, You know, the modern jewelry that we see, uh, the T version where you were held to it and, and crucified and killed over the course of four hours to sometimes up to four. Plus days. It was invented in the 5th century by the Persians. It was perfected by the Romans around the time of the life of Jesus. And it was used as common practice in Rome until Constantine, who was an emperor, outlawed it in about 300 AD. How it would work is you would end up being uh, pierced or uh, by nails through your hands, through your feet, to the cross. The nails wouldn't go through your the palm of your hand because if it would, the weight of your body would cause the nail to actually slip. Out, It was rather put into the wrist and the feet in the the most sensitive nervous centers of the entire body. You have these bones right here in your wrist called metacarpals that would actually hold the nails in place. It was the most barbarous way to die. Oftentimes victims were hung on the cross naked uh, and it was, we were trying, the, uh, the idea of the crucifixion was to make death as prolonged and as painful and humiliating as possible. Possible. Josephus, the ancient historian, said it was the most gruesome of deaths. Cicero said that it's not even uh, appropriate for a Roman citizen to contemplate that kind of death. Don't even think about the cross because it's too gruesome and it's out of place for a Roman citizen. In fact, the Romans they actually didn't crucify their own citizens. It was it was reserved as a form of torture, execution, and death for foreigners uh, who had who had committed the most grievous high. Like, crimes and that's the reality of uh, the crucifixion it was it was so horrible of a way to die that we actually invented a word to describe it which is excruciating and it literally means from the cross now what would happen how somebody died on the cross is it was death by asphyxiation so what would happen is as the body of the victim is slouching down the air would be expressed from the person's lungs and over time the heart would swell and the person would suffocate and ultimately die. Oftentimes what would happen to catch a breath is the person would have to pull up on their nail-pierced hands and push up on their nail-pierced feet to capture a breath to then slump back down and suffocate over a prolonged period of time. It was barbarous. It was torturous. It was gruesome. It was horrific. Oftentimes the victims, what they would do is they would purposely allow themselves to slouch to try and and hasten death." And so the Romans, because they were experts with this, what they did is they actually would put a seat on the cross that would prevent the person from being able to do that, to thereby prolong the agony of the person who was suffering death by crucifixion. If for whatever reason the Roman executioners wanted to hasten the process, what they would do is they would sometimes break the legs of the victims to hurry up and expedite the death process. This was the common practice of crucifixion. And In fact, at one point, uh, there was uh, a a, a kind of a rebel army, I'm spacing on the name right now, but led by this one guy in about 70 BC who was defeated by Rome and there was 6,000 people that were crucified over the span of 120 miles. That would be the equivalent of from the border up north of us all the way down to Seattle, men uh, crucified, end to end all the way from the border, the Canadian border to Seattle. Oftentimes what would happen is as the victim is being killed and executed on the cross, below them there would be piles of their own blood and sweat and tears and feces and urine because the individual would become incontinent. Jesus was executed by crucifixion. Now, what we know when we turn to the biblical text is that before Jesus was crucified, he was scourged the practice of scourging, essentially what would happen is the Romans, they would fasten the person to a post with their hands above their head, their backside completely exposed. There would be an ex- executioner on either side with a tool called the cat of nine tails. It, was a, it had a leather handle. On the end of it were leather straps. On these individual leather straps, some of them had metal balls. And on the end of it, there was often bone or pieces of metal. What would happen is the executioner Executioners would take turn striking the backside of the victim. The metal balls would serve to tenderize the flesh like a stake. And the bones in the metal would pierce flesh and rip it from bone. In fact, we have some historical accounts that said that sometimes in extreme cases, a rib would actually come flying out of the victim. After the scourging, sometimes it was so gruesome, it was so bloody, it was so horrible that the victim would actually die and not survive the scourging. And this is the reality of what Jesus experienced before his crucifixion. His body is ripped open to shreds like he went through a paper shredder. It, oftentimes bone and organs are visible. After was Jesus was scourged, the biblical texts say that he had to carry his own crossbeam to the place of Golgotha, which means place of the skull, where he was crucified. This is rough hewn timber. This is not nice sanded wood like you would find in your house. Jesus is carrying a hundred pound crossbeam after he was just scourged and it's piercing into his own open wounds on his shoulders and his back. He tried to muster up all of the strength that he could to carry it all the way up the hill to die with dignity, but he couldn't do it. Ultimately, the weight of the crossbeam crushed him, brought him to the ground. Simon of Cyrene had to pick it up and carry it up to the place where Jesus was crucified, where then Jesus is laid on top of a cross And Jesus, the carpenter, who had driven nails through wood his entire life, has nine-inch Roman nails driven through his wrists and his feet. His body would have involuntarily convulsed. He would have screamed. He would have wept. And the Romans hooked up ropes to the cross and lifted it up above the earth where it would have slammed into place. And Jesus was then met eye to eye with his accusers, with his mockers, His mother was there, the religious leaders, right? He doesn't, his disciples had abandoned him. And it's six hours later, Jesus, God incarnate, dies. Now, here's the thing. Why do we call that good, right? I mean, think about it. We've got Good Friday coming up and we've called it good forever within Christianity. We're gonna take communion today and we talk about it like we're celebrating the Lord's t- Supper. Jesus, when he institutes the Lord's Supper, he says, hey, take this. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. How could Christians possibly call this good news? Like what is, what's good about this? In fact, today, guys, in the modern world, we've reduced the cross to a fashion statement. It's an earring, it's jewelry, right? It's just, it's a symbol of fashion and, you know, love we've made it out to in our culture. But the reality is, is the cross is a symbol of shame and of suffering and of death. And that's the symbol of our faith. How could we possibly call this good? Which leads me to the second question that we're going to begin to navigate into today, is why is Jesus's death actually good news? And to do this, we have to back up all the way to the beginning of the biblical narrative in the book of Genesis, where we see God creating everything. He says that it's good. He creates the Garden of Eden. He prepares it for Adam, whom he forms out of the dust. He pulls Eve from his side and gives Adam a helpmate. And God speaks to Adam and Eve in the midst of the garden. And he says, hey, you can do whatever you want, but here's the deal. You got one job. Don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They had one job. What did they do? They ate the freaking fruit, right? And so now we're still dealing with the repercussions of that today. But the reality is, is you eat of that same fruit every day, and you would have done the same thing if you were in their situation. That's the reality of the human condition. But here's the thing. God says the day that you eat it, you'll surely die. Adam and Eve, they ate the fruit and they didn't die. So what's going on? There was a death that happened. They died spiritually right? Sin enters into the picture. We rebel against God, and God in an act of his good graces removes us from his presence, because God is holy, and his holiness by very nature burns against all that is unholy, consumes it, and destroys it. So actually, us being kicked out of the garden, it was for our good, so God could work a redemptive story. But we didn't die physically, we died spiritually, and ultimately, the story of the Bible will say, listen, you die physically one day, because first and foremost, you're dead spiritually, right? And to which Jesus enters the story. Actually, Paul says in Romans, he says, the wages of sin is death. And it's this idea that God is just, And because God is just, there has to be retribution. There has to be payment. There has to be penalty for sin, or else he's unjust. To give you a modern example, it would be like if somebody that you know and love was murdered. You go to trial, and imagine the person is found convicted. They're the ones that did it. It actually happened. Imagine the judge presiding over the case, the jury presiding over the case, would then look at you and say, you know what? We know they did it, but we're just gonna let them off and go let them live the rest of their life and and not send them to prison. That it would be a gross mishandling of justice. Now, God is perfect, and because God is perfect, he is perfectly just. There has to be payment, there has to be retribution. Why is the cross good? Good news. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21 For our sake, everybody say, for my sake right? This is a work that was done for you. For our sake, for my sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is a work that was done for you, right? This is the idea of the cross, that it was, it was God becoming uh, your sin, what was killing you, taking it off of you, and crushing it on the cross so he could have you, bless you, love you, forgive you, and, and give you eternal life for eternity. This is what Jesus does. It It was for our sake. It was a work done for us, but also a work done because of you, right? I don't know if you know this, but you're kind of messed up. And if you're married and you don't think so, ask your spouse on the way home and they would love to help enlighten you to the reality of the state of your uh, personhood. Uh, But here's the thing, right? We're all sinners by nature and by choice, right? We've got sins of commission doing bad things and sins of omission not doing the right things. And the wages of sin is death. Jesus on the cross, he became your sin, he didn't die because of his own sin, he's perfect, he died on the cross because of your sin, because of mine, this is a work done for you, because of you, and ultimately Jesus is dying in your place as your substitute right? Somebody had to pay the penalty and God in his mercy and his great love for you took the freight train of the wrath of God that was coming in your direction, hopped in the way of it and satisfied it so you could have his love, affirmation, acceptance forever. That's why this is good news, guys. That's what Jesus is accomplishing. Jesus had wrath poured out on him so you could have the mercy of God poured out on you. He took your hell to give you his heaven. He died that you would live. And in fact, Martin Luther, he calls this the great exchange where God puts himself in your place so he can put you in his place that's why the cross is good news God puts himself in your place so he can put you in his place here's the reality you are so sinful flawed and broken that God had to die welcome to church love you glad you're here right that's the reality that's why, like, J- Jesus didn't die on the cross because we were pretty close to figuring it out, guys, right? We're so sinful and flawed and broken and destitute and we can't make anything right that God had to die. But you are so loved by God that he actually wanted to. And now here's the thing. Let me just let me just defend this position for a second because here's where angry atheist kids on Reddit with their Spider-Man pajamas and cheeto stained fingers just go crazy, okay? Because they say stuff like this. And maybe you've wanted this and maybe you have friends that are wondering this because here's here's the argument against that how can you call God good and worship love and serve him if he's gonna murder his son right? Like, how can you call that good? How can you love and worship and serve that God if he's gonna kill his own son? And of course, here's the reality. This is a gross oversimplification of the reality of what was going on uh, on the cross. In fact, the Bible, what it does is it portrays the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit co-conspiring together to redeem humanity. Meaning this wasn't Jesus, you know, just like he's got cosmic child abuse syndrome going on here. He literally, in fact, the book of Hebrews says it was for the joy that was set before him he endured the cross despising the shame. In fact, the, the, the biblical writers, they'll portray this relationship of Jesus with the church as his bride. Guys, this is the story of the bridegroom laying down his life to win back his wife right? That's the reality. This is, this is you are the joy on the other end of Jesus's crucifixion, his death in, in your place. You are the joy that was set before him. Furthermore, in addition to this, all true love is substitutionary in nature. And we know this innately, but let me just talk about this for a second. All true love is substitutionary in nature. This is why when you were watching Avengers Endgame for the first time, uh, you know, like there's that part where, you know, you've got Doctor Strange and Tony Stark and they're talking together and, you know, they're like trying to figure out how are we gonna save the universe, you know? And then like there's this moment where Doctor Strange, he sees the end of the story and he's talking to Tony and he's like, Tony, the moment's gonna come and you're gonna know what it is when it happens and, and there's only one possible outcome and thing that can happen to save the human race. And we all know at that point, right, Tony's gonna die like we all we all knew it it's like oh man this is gonna go this way what are we gonna do how are we gonna handle this tony's gonna die and so sure enough you get to the end of the movie and there's that moment where like everybody's fighting and doctor strange is over here and tony stark iron man's over there and they like catch each other's eye you know what i mean and then like tony's like okay yeah i got it he does the thing he says i am iron man snaps the finger and then boom universe saved and Tony Stark is mortally wounded, and he dies. And you were bawling your freaking eyes out, and so was I, and everybody's freaking out. Why do we resonate with that story so deeply, guys? You don't see animals doing this, right? It's not like, it's not like you, you don't see dogs, uh, you know, tearing up when Old Yeller saves the family, gets rabies, and gets shot, right? That doesn't happen. Like Baker, my Australian shepherd, he's not there watching the movie like, this is speaking to me on a spiritual level right now. He doesn't do that. Like, why do we resonate with that hero narrative so much? It's because it's the divine thumbprint on your conscience because God put that there. It's sort of like a nostalgia of the true and the perfect world that you were made for, where there's separation. God is drawing you to himself. I'm wondering, is there that kind of love into which Christianity says, yes, look no further than the cross, right? That's the reality of Jesus. In fact, in John 15, he says, greater love is none than this, than you lay down your life for your friends. Jesus literally said that right before he denied himself, He picked up his cross and he put one foot in front of the other all the way to that murderous, barbarous death and end of his life that I just talked to you about. Because he loved you. And here's the thing about the cross, guys, by the way. It's not just a moment of passion in the heart of God. I know we've talked about this before, but I just, I just wanna talk about this again. It's, it's not just like a moment of passion and God's like, oh, I gotta do this and get through it and then we can move on with the rest of the story. What the cross is, you wanna know what it is? It's a window into the ever-present reality of the value that God has for your life right now. It's it's not just a moment of passion. It's literally a window into the ever-present reality of God's love for you, of the extent, the depths that he's willing to go to have you. It's not just a moment of passion. It's a window into the ever-present reality of the value that he has for you and the greatness of the extent of his love for you right now. This is why Jesus' death is good news. Number three, let's talk about this. What does Jesus' death mean for your life? Because there's vast implications uh, regarding the death of Jesus for how you actually live your life, how you view Death. How you navigate forward to that moment when your life is ended. Number one, Jesus's death frees you of a life of guilt, shame, condemnation, and regret. I love this. If we could get that uh, sin and grace cycle slide up here, so we could talk about this. Here's what happens, guys. Slide on the left. Uh, this is called the sin cycle. Uh, what happens is you do something bad, and then what do we feel? We feel guilty. Guilt says I did something bad. What guilt turns into is shame, and we say because I've done something bad, that means that. I'm fundamentally bad. And we bring the bad things that we've done into the very realm of our identity. This is who I am. I'm a reflection of the bad things that I've done. And so we feel shame. What shame leads into is condemnation. So because I've done something bad and I am bad, now I deserve to be punished. And condemnation, what it does is it causes us to live in this constant state of fear and of worry because I'm just waiting to be found out out, and what happens if I'm real with other people and I let them into the skeletons in my closet, I'm going to be condemned. We live in constant fear. What condemnation then turns into is regret. So because I did bad things, I'm bad, I'm living in the fear of being found out, I might as well just go forward with bad decisions in my life, and of course we do it, and then we store up brokenness, baggage, and pain, and difficult circumstances, because no good decisions in life are ever made in that cycle, Right? This is the human condition. This is what we tend to do. And around and around and around we go and marriages spiral out and and our lives go to the gutter and we find addictions and we get addicted to pornography and gambling and whatever else, right? Life just becomes a disaster. You know what Jesus says over that cycle in your life from the cross? Three words. It is finished, right? He's like, listen, here's what's available for you. This is why it's good news, right? Your sin, it's finished. Your guilt, it's finished. Your shame, it's finished. Your condemnation, it's finished, man. The penalty's been paid. Your regret, it's finished. Your guilt translates to the forgiveness of God. Your shame, that identity portion of you translates to Jesus. like, listen, you're a new creation. You're not defined by what you've done, but you're now defined by what I've done. Condemnation translates to mercy and now you don't need to fear being found out because jesus saw everything and he still loves you and he died in your place to give you the mercy of god your regret transitions to hope here's the thing about regret guys what regret does is it gets you to obsess about your past you know what, you know what hope does? You know what the cross does? It gets you to obsess on Jesus' past. Regret wants you to focus on what you did wrong. The grace of God gets you to focus on and obsess over what Jesus did right. And Jesus is saying, listen, you can be free from all of those realities. I mean, here's the thing, guys: if God isn't holding your sin against you, you should probably stop holding it against yourself. Come on. He became sin. He became it so you could become the righteousness of God. Listen, if you're in Christ, you're that new creation. When God looks at you, he doesn't see how you failed. He sees how Jesus succeeded. He doesn't see where you went wrong. He sees where Jesus went right. You are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. What this means, wow, this is crazy. What this means is when the Father looks at you, he sees Jesus. Right now, you're like, well, you don't know what I came in here with. Shut up. You're missing it. The whole point, right? Stop it, right? Like, seriously. This is what repentance does. This is what coming back to the cross does. This is what the power of what we're about to do here at the communion table. You get transferred from that cycle of guilt, shame, condemnation, and regret, and you get transformed in the circle and the cycle of grace. This is what the work of the cross does. It frees you from a life of shame, guilt, condemnation, and regret. The second implication of what Jesus' death means for your life, if it means that you, it means you don't have to live with the fear of death. You don't have to de- live with the fear of death. Jesus says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, amazing words. Uh, I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and hell. What's he saying? He said, hey, listen, you're gonna get there one day, but don't worry, I went there first and I got the keys guys I'll let you out right he's like don't freak out about it I've already beat death I've got the keys you find yourself there that's cool I'll just walk right in and you'll come be with me forever it's gonna be great right this is literally what Jesus said you don't have to live with the fear of death in addition to this Jesus says in John chapter 11 verse 25 through 26 he's at the tomb of Lazarus a dear friend of him with Mary and Martha Lazarus's sisters and Jesus is ministering to the family and he says this I I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Asks The most important question that you could have the right answer to. Do you believe that, right? Do you believe that? Because what's Jesus saying to the person who does believe it? Listen, if you're a Christian, let me just give you some more good news. You don't go to the grave, you go through the grave. That's what Jesus is saying. He's the resurrection, he's the life. Though you die, yet you live. Your last breath here is, brings you into your first breath into the eternal reality of the kingdom of God where there's no more sorrow, sickness, pain, death, forever, right? God renews everything. That is where you are heading. This is why, guys, for the Christian, uh, to die is not the worst thing. To die without relationship to the one who defeated death is the worst thing. It's the ultimate question of life did you what did you do with the cross what did you do with the death of jesus it's not the worst thing to die Right? We live in a culture that says it is the worst thing to die, but it's not the worst thing to die. If Jesus really gets spoiler alert, right? We got Easter Sunday. What are we celebrating? Jesus got up again. He didn't stay dead. The tomb's still empty, ladies and gentlemen. It's still empty. He's still the resurrection. He's still the life. To die is not the worst thing. To die without relationship to the one who defeated death is the worst thing. This is why for the Christian, listen, we got a lot of baggage. We got a lot of brokenness. We got a lot of pain present in this room right now. The kind of stuff happening in people's lives that would make you just weep if you heard some of the stories in this room, right? We've got those realities here. But here's the thing. For the Christian, the, this life, because Jesus is the resurrection and the life, for you, this is as close to hell as you get. He's the resurrection and he's the life. He beat death. And here's the reality. For the non-Christian, this life now is as close to heaven as you get. Because Jesus died and he rose again, right? Good Friday says it's finished. Easter Sunday said it worked, you know? Like, it's done, it's finished. And because of what Jesus has done, you don't have to live with the fear of death any longer. Lastly here, just a couple more thoughts and we'll take communion. Jesus' death, what it does is it forces you to reckon with your own death. This is what we're confronted with, right? God died, You, you, you've got a timer. Like, you know, I hate to break it to you, but there's, you got a toe tag with your name and a date and a time on it. That's going to be around your foot one day. Like you're heading very quickly in that direction where you're going to be pushing daisies. God died. And the reality is you and I are facing the same thing. And it's one of the keys to living well, guys, is to actually accept that. And so many people have talked about this idea of, you know, you have to begin with the end in mind. Uh, you know, it's this idea of, let's just do this as a thought experiment really quick. Go to your deathbed right now. Who's there? Project your life out, living the way that you are, valuing the things that you value, moving in the direction that your life is moving into right now. Project your life out to that moment where you are in your final minutes, hours, and days. Who's around you and what are they saying? Is your spouse there? What are they saying about you? Were you faithful to them? Did you deny and beat the temptation when it came? And if not, did you forgive yourself when Jesus forgave you? What are they saying about you as their spouse? right Uh, was was it you loved you served me well you gave everything you championed me you decided to live in our relationship as someone who was committed to my flourishing not your own you didn't get it right all the time but we stayed together we walked through life's difficult moments what are they saying about you are your kids there what are your kids saying dad was too busy he worked a lot he was kind of a disaster and a you know like a, a disaster party boy just all about doing his own things and i don't respect him or, or my dad's my role model. I want to be like him. I love you, dad. Thank you so much for everything you did. What are they saying about you? Are your friends there? What are they, who's, who's around you? What are they saying about the life that you actually lived, right? I, I mean, is there a wake of people behind you that you're leaving whose eternal destination got changed because you went all out on being a fully devoted follower of Jesus and God used you to impact the world around you for the 15 seconds that you had alive on the human stage and platform in this generation, right? What, what's what's the reality of that last moment, right? See, because here's the thing: modern psychology. We've got this big idea of like, you know, you gotta you gotta get this, you succeed. You gotta get the win. But the problem is, is we don't have a good metric for what is the win, right? Like, get money. I don't know. Like, what is it? What's the win? We don't actually know what the win is, and so we don't have an end point. We don't have something that we're really going after, right? And this is this is a, a disaster to live into. And so you, we we can't we can't can't win we can't succeed if we don't know what it is here's the reality for the christian did you treasure the cross did you not just believe in it but did you actually treasure the death of jesus when you get to the end of your life will you have made it count or did you waste it all on stupid netflix cooking shows and social media come on Right? Did it, did it actually, did it count when you could have had the adventure of following Jesus and living a life of impact and sending ripple effects throughout all of eternity? In fact, if you read the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, really great book. I would encourage you to do that. Basically, the point is like, dude, you're done, right? Like your life is over. You're vapor. You're here for a second and you're gone. Welcome to New Song. Glad you're here. Love you. Your life is done right now. Like seriously, guys, here's the thing. Some of you might not make it back here next weekend. We just don't know. Life has brevity. And it has uncertainty, and that's the reality of human existence. And so we're just, we just end up sitting on life and waiting because we have these nice little pampered Western lifestyles and everything's easy for the most of us, and that's why we spend so much time scrolling social media. In fact, you want to know how ridiculous the world that we live in is? Logan uh, Paul, who's like this YouTube ridiculous potty, party boy disaster of a human being. And uh, this is how ridiculous the world that we live in is. He just bought a Pokemon card for five and a quarter million dollars, guys. Can you believe that? That's actually the world that we live in right now. And so we go to sleep on death, but this thing is coming for every single one of us and it's not slowing down. And the greatest question of all is, what did you do with the death of Jesus? In fact, let me tell you a story from my own uh, own life. I've shared this before. Uh, Many of you will know this, but when I was in high school, Uh, I had a buddy and uh, we grew up in Linden and there was nothing to do in Linden. So we would go to the city park and smoke cigarettes. And we had marbreds this night because it was the only thing that we could get the 25 year old at the gas station to buy us. And so um, that's me, welcome to my life. I don't smoke anymore, don't worry about it. And so, you know, we're in the Linden City Park and we're smoking cigarettes. It's like 1 a.m. or something. And all of a sudden we're just talking and there's a flashlight that hits us. And coming down from the hill is a Linden City police officer and he and i'm seeing it and i'm like oh snap so i dropped the cigarette put it out he comes up to us and he's like gentlemen what are you doing and my buddy was just like i don't care he already saw i'm just gonna enjoy this and so he's like what are you what are you guys doing we're like uh nothing (laughs) hanging out and he's like okay let me see your ids and then we were like oh shoot okay well here's the deal I left it at home. And um, I'm just kidding. He was like, okay, so you got two choices, guys. I'm gonna write you an MIP or I'm gonna call your moms and make them come get you. What do you want? And I was like, I'll take the MIP. Thank you. Um, no, I didn't. I was like, okay, I'll call mom. So, so I call mom and she's, of course, freaking out because I snuck out of the house, which I did a lot. and She didn't know, but she comes up and she picks me up and I'm talking with her. And, and literally, I am terrified, guys. Like my, like literally smoke coming out of her face in places that I didn't even know was possible. And so we start, I literally, my stepdad and my mom drove in different cars. And so I had to, I decided to like ride back with my stepdad because I knew stuff was going to be a little bit cool and I might survive the night if I did that. And he's just laughing at me and he's like, dude, you totally did it. And I'm like, no, I didn't, man. And then my mom believed me. Guys, here's the thing. Your teenagers are chronic liars. Okay. I totally did it. And she bought it. But anyways, okay. So that was that, Th- this guy that we, we spent a lot of time together good friends fast forward to several years down the road uh, I was a firefighter EMT here locally at a local fire department and I was on shift at station thirteen off Smith Road with uh, my crew that evening and I just had this foreboding sense of something was about to happen that was going to be horribly bad and so i 'm just praying go to bed and all of a sudden we wake up in the middle of the night to tones going off in our house pagers going off we get in the rigs we start heading to the guide meridian northbound and and uh, we're getting more information about the accident uh, on en route to where we were heading. And it was a head-on collision, dispatch told us, where there was likely one DOA and somebody was being transported, code red, to the hospital and they didn't know if he was gonna make it. We get on scene and I come out of the car. I remember vividly the sights, the smells. I can smell the radiator fluid even today from right now bubbling on the engine block. I can see the car bashed in. The front windshield was blown. blown. Blown out and obliterated, and behind the steering wheel is the face of that friend. Skull concaved in, blood coming out of his nose, cerebral spinal fluid. It was my job to cut him out of the car. So here I am with the crew. We got the jaws of life. We're prying open the door. We cut him out of the seatbelt. We get our hands on him. This guy who I'd shared a bunch of memories with. We did a bunch of stuff, hung out all the time. He was over at my house. I was over at his house. Now my hands are on his dead body, pulling him out of the vehicle. While we're transporting him, his cell phone goes off. It's a text from his girlfriend. And I realize I'm the only one that knows this guy's dead right now we put him down on the tarp waiting for the coroner to come and get him I ID'd him hand his identification to my lieutenant and realized what was going on and I was confronted with the brevity and the uncertainty of life and I found myself asking the question where is he right now? Like how did that actually, here's the thing guys, that could happen at any moment to anybody. That's the reality of life. And the only thing that matters when you find yourself there, when you got a casket in front of you or your own out in front of you is what did you do with the death of Jesus? Did you actually trust it? In fact, theologians, they argue about this idea of the word faith in the New Testament. And they've said, listen, a better translation of the word faith would actually be trust. Because for us in our modern English context, when we think of faith, we think of kind of like an intellectual assent, Like it's more an activity, an exercise of the mind that doesn't actually have implications on how I live my life. And they're saying, listen, the idea of New Testament faith is different than that. It's this idea of trust. Frank, can I ask you, do you trust the cross? Because that's the invitation today right? Some of you, you need to throw the weight of your life into the death of Jesus and you're not doing that. You're walking around with shame, guilt, condemnation, and regret and you're not leaning in. You're not trusting him. Did the cross actually become your treasure? And that's what we're going to give you an opportunity to do. In fact, worship team, you guys go ahead and come on up. Communion team, you guys come on up. Why don't you stand with me? because i think this is what jesus is just inviting some of us to do he's saying listen i i need you to i want you to actually lean in and trust the work of the cross regarding your sin trust the cross regarding your shame trust the cross in regard to your condemnation trust the cross in regard to the regret that you carry that's weighing you down and that's poison to your soul jesus is saying listen some of you you you, you just doubt the love of god Right? Like, does he love me? I don't know. Doesn't really feel like it. How are the circumstances in my life? I'm so jacked up, messed up, right? Listen, I get that, man. We buried a kid in December. I get that. But the reality is because Jesus died, death has been defeated. And he holds the keys. Amen? So let me pray for us and we'll come up and take communion. Jesus, we thank you so much for your body that was broken for your blood that was shed and Holy Spirit I pray God that this would not just be a nice little moment of religious tradition but God I pray for your presence to just come rest upon us and I pray for just encounters with the cross this morning for your people Holy Spirit would you give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation open our eyes to see the crucified Lamb of God and Lord would your love poured out for us on the cross through your death. Change everything about life for us, God, this morning in Jesus' name. Father, I pray if there's anybody in this room who has not entrusted their lives to you, haven't surrendered in your direction, God, I pray that today would be a day of repentance, that they would find salvation in you. Lord, we know you didn't die on the cross because we were pretty close to figuring out, but because we couldn't. It was your rescue mission. And Lord, I pray if there's anybody in here who hasn't surrendered their life in the direction uh, of your death, your crucifixion, your subsequent resurrection repented of sin and, and, and believed in you for eternal life. Lord, today would be the day where they find uh, salvation at the foot of the cross in Jesus' name. God, would you lead us in this time in Jesus' name? And everybody said, amen. Okay, guys, in just a second, I'm gonna call you forward. And I really wanna encourage you, man, do some business with God. Like, where do you need the cross to be real for you in your life? Don't rush through this. Like, let's enjoy a moment in the presence of God. If you're here, you haven't given your life to Jesus and you're saying, man, today's the day, I'm gonna be right over here. And i want to pray for you. And then I'm gonna serve you your first communion. So I'm gonna invite you to go ahead and come forward, exit to the left of your aisle and come forward, grab your emblems and return to your seat. And the worship team is gonna lead us in a final song here.